<clears throat> At this time, kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. And go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 863. Luke 6. We're going to open our time by reflecting on Luke 645. And let's pray together for help before we look at God's word. Let's pray. Oh, dear Lord, please help us. We are weak and needy people. Lord, if we could see ourselves the way that we truly are, we would know that we are poor and hunger and uh, in need. So please meet our need now by your spirit. Uh, please help me, Lord, to preach faithfully, clearly, in a way that uh, really brings out the meaning and the intent of this passage. Please work in all of our lives. Lord, give us all repentance and faith. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Luke 6, 45. God's word says this. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. May God give us ears to hear his word. Every five or six years, the church buys me a new computer. I was very generous of them, generous of you. As you understand, in our current culture, it's basically impossible to not work without a computer. And I can't imagine how pastors did pastoral ministry for hundreds of years without computers, though obviously they did, did it fine for a long time. Well, recently I was exploring my computer, and I discovered that it can hold 458 gigabytes of data. 458 gigabytes of data. Now, I am totally technologically ignorant, and I did not really know what that means. So I looked this up, but 458 gigabytes of data is the equivalent of 2,048,634 200-page books. And for somebody who loves to read, that really meant something, that I could have that many books on my computer. Quite remarkable. Now, something else with my computer, and I imagine this holds true for yours as well, I can examine how much of my data is occupied by this or that. I can see how much data goes to running apps, how much is taken up by music and audio files, how much is taken up by Word files, that sort of thing. You know what I'm talking about? And how much data is still empty and available. I discovered that music and video files are a whole lot bigger than I ever imagined. Well, all this got me thinking. If my computer, go back to the first slide, if you would. I'll, I'll tell you when we need these. Go to the first black one. I'm sorry. All this got me thinking. If my computer can hold 458 gigabytes of data, how much could the human mind hold? You know, obviously our brains are not computers, and all of us are very different. We've got different IQs, different men mental capacities. All of that is true. But nonetheless, what would the average human mind hold in terms of computer data? Well, believe it or not, I was not the first one to ask this question. This question was asked and answered in the Scientific American back in 2010. And look at what the Scientific American said. According to the Scientific American, the average human mind is capable of storing, now get this, 2,621,440 gigabytes of data. That equates to 300 years of continuous video. That's the average human mind. So compare this. You can bring that next one up. My computer, 458 gigabytes of data, which is like over 2 million books. But the average human mind, 2,621,440 gigabytes of data. 
It's a lot. Now, all of this made me wonder about something else. Just like I could look at my computer and see what the data is devoted to, you know, word files, audio files, that sort of thing, it made me wonder how much of my, my memory is devoted to this or that. If there was some sort of machine which could reveal what's on the hard drive of my brain, what would we discover? Well, I'm afraid to say that an awful lot of my mind would be devoted to wasted space. Obviously, there'd be all sorts of memories from childhood, memories growing up, memories of school, memories playing sports, getting married, having kids, all of that, and nothing's wrong with that. A lot of my memory would be occupied with the reading, writing, arithmetic I learned in school, the history, science, and literature, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. But I have to confess that on the hard drive of my mind, there'd be a whole lot devoted to, say, silly TV shows that were an absolute waste of time. Worthless movies I watched growing up. There'd be an awful lot, and I hate to admit this, devoted to professional wrestling matches that I used to watch that I wish I could forget. There'd be ridiculous and worthless secular song lyrics that I memorized, some intentionally, some accidentally. And then there'd be truly downright evil things that I've thought, done, said, that today I'm ashamed of. But then there'd, this, there'd be this little tiny fraction of my total memory capacity devoted to God's Word. I really believe that. Compared to all that's in my brain, it would be a tiny sliver. And I include in that all the Bible I learned in church growing up, Bible college, seminary, all the Bible I've learned in 20 years of pastoral ministry. Compared to everything else, I believe the total amount of my mind filled with Bible is relatively small. And I'm kind of embarrassed when I think about it compared to what else is there. I'd encourage you to do something of a similar evaluation with the hard drive of your own mind. Obviously, we can't do this literally. We can't take a printout and look at it. But imagine there was some sort of machine that would reveal what's on the hard drive of your mind. How much of that space would be devoted to, say, old TV shows that had zero edifying value? Secular song lyrics that maybe you wish you could forget. Uh, movies that were just an enormous waste of time, or worse. Snazzy lines from comedies, NFL statistics, images and videos that you might now be totally ashamed of. And how much of the hard drive of your mind would be devoted to the Bible, to God's Word? If we've learned anything from this mini-series, this is a large part of the reason why we keep having the problems we have. Why we can't break sinful habits. Why we can't stop doing those things that we know we should not do. Why we keep losing it with our kids, our spouse, our coworkers. We've so filled up the hard drives of our minds with basically worthless stuff, and God's Word occupies this tiny sliver uh, that we really shouldn't be surprised when we fall into sin. Last week, I was reflecting on Luke 6.45, the verse I opened our sermon with, and the thought came to me that what you memorize reveals what you really love. What you memorize reveals what you really love. It's almost an unavoidable law of the universe. I mean, call up that verse, and let me make a couple of observations on it. Jesus says the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We all have a heart. We all have a heart. You might call it a soul, you might call it a mind, but the Bible's term for the inner man is heart. And you will unavoidably, inevitably, fill that heart up with all sorts of things. Some good, some bad, some evil, some holy, some worthless, some worthwhile, some harmful, some harmless. You're constantly filling your heart with things. And they become sort of like a hidden treasure stored up in your heart. But then how do you know what you've stored away in your heart? How do you know it's on the mental hard drive of your mind? 
What you talk about. What you speak about. He says, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what you talk about most of the time, what you can recite totally from memory without any preparation, uh, the, the jokes that you tell with a perfect punchline, that reveals what you truly love. But there's another thing I think this verse teaches us. I think this verse teaches us that you can direct your heart to love the things of God by actively filling your heart with the things of God. Let me say that again. You can direct your heart to love the things of God. You feel like you don't love the things of God enough? I think all true Christians feel that way. Well, actively fill your heart with the things of God. Again, let me read the verse. The good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil in his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I can repent. I can start filling my heart with good treasure. I can store up God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. I can set my mind on things above. I can fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. And if I can do that long enough and consistent enough, eventually there'll be this good treasure there. And I'll know that that's there when it comes flowing out of my mouth naturally. So I say it again. What you memorize reveals what you really love. And at the same time, you can fuel your love for God and the things of God through intentionally memorizing God's word. Well, it's with this that we come to our third and final sermon this year on the life-transforming power of memorizing Scripture. I hope to see Bible memory become part of the DNA of who we are as a congregation, such that it just naturally flows out of us in conversations, in counseling, in sharing the gospel. To quickly remind you of what we've covered so far in this series, the first sermon was basically a study of Psalm 119.11, which says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When we studied that verse, we saw the way in which sin is always hunting us, actively hunting us. Uh, we're like that gazelle, just feeling calm and collective on the field, uh, not knowing that the lion is crouching in the bushes trying to get us. That's who you are, that's who I am. We also considered how the power to fight against sin is not naturally found within us. Uh, we're we're kind of like a sickly gazelle with two broken back legs without the power to run away. We saw the way in which something must be implanted, imported into us if we want to successfully fight sin, and that thing is the Word of God. We need to so fill our hearts, fill our minds with the Word of God that we become healthy and able to fight against sin. And when we pulled all those strands together, I made the argument that that is essentially Scripture memory. Then last week, we surveyed the entire Bible, and basically we looked at the way in which so many heroes of the Bible. So many of our favorite Bible story characters, they were inundated with scripture memory. I mean, they memorized far more of the Bible than most of us probably ever will. I mean, I'm talking about children memorizing entire books of the Bible, the entire Pentateuch in many cases. And I think that explains much as to why the early church was so powerful and fruitful in reaching the Roman Empire with the gospel. They were just filled with the word of Christ. Another thing we did last week was to quickly consider some of the practical benefits of memorizing Scripture. There are an awful lot of these, so I won't reiterate them all now for the sake of time. But suffice it to say, there are many important practical benefits to hiding God's Word in your heart, benefits that make it more than worth the work. One final point we made both two weeks ago and last week was this, and I hope you take this away with you. But we memorize Scripture not because we want to be saved, but in, because we have been saved. Let me say that again. We memorize scripture not in order to earn salvation, not in order to earn reconciliation to God, in order to earn his love or anything like that. No, we memorize scripture out of gratitude for what Jesus has done through the cross and the empty tomb to save us. 
If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, we're delighted you're here. But let me just quickly explain what this means to be saved, to be rescued from the judgment our sins deserve. God's word, the Bible tells us that we've been made to know God, to have a relationship with him. But God's word says that we've rebelled against him, broken his laws, tried to throw off his yoke over or off our shoulders and go our own way. Essentially, we try to live as if we're our own gods when he is a loving, gracious Heavenly Father. Now, under those circumstances, God would have been righteous to have punished us for our sins. He could have left us to judgment, but he didn't. He loved us and he gave us a Savior just as he promised. Jesus, God the Son, comes down from heaven. He takes on our flesh and blood, our nature, yet without sin. He grows up and lives the perfect life of obedience we should have lived. But then he dies on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice. He's bearing in his body on the cross the judgment, the wrath of God our sins deserve. Three days later, the Father raises Jesus back from the dead to demonstrate that what I'm telling you is true. And now he's offering forgiveness of sins, eternal life, salvation to all who call upon his name. This is what it means to be saved, to be rescued from the judgment our sins deserve. And again, we memorize scripture not in order to be saved, but because we have been saved. So I implore you, if you've never put your hope in the Lord Jesus, do it now. Trust in him right now. If you've never committed yourself body and soul, embrace his leadership now. Embrace him right now and be saved, be rescued from the judgment our sins deserve. And as always, if any of you would like to discuss this further, need clarification on something that I've said, would like somebody to pray with you, pray for you, talk to me after, after the service. I'll be at the front door to greet people on the way out. But trust Jesus today and today be saved. Now, in the remainder of our time this morning, I want to do something a little bit different. In today's sermon, we're not going to be studying so much a passage of Scripture or a biblical doctrine, but I want to help you apply the Bible to your life. I want to walk through a plan for how can I hide God's Word in my heart that I might not sin against God. And to do that, what I'm going to do is to explain in detail how I personally memorize Scripture. Like I've mentioned in a couple of the previous sermons, I've come to deeply believe in Scripture memory and to strive to practice it daily. And I want to lay out for all of us a step-by-step -step plan for how we can hide God's Word in our hearts. Because of that, I want to stress a couple of very important things. Realize that most of what I'm about to share with you are not commands of God, but practical suggestions for applying God's Word. Okay? You understand what I'm getting at? Most of what I'm about to share with you are not commands of God, but practical suggestions for applying God's Word. What that means is that you're free to tweak these, take them or leave them. You know, if, you, if something I suggest you, you know is not going to work for you, don't think that God himself is telling you to do this. These are just the things that I've discovered that work for me, and they might work for you as well in hiding God's Word in your heart. Additionally, realize there are probably even better suggestions out there for memorizing Scripture that I've not yet discovered. And probably other folks in this room have some really helpful hints and tips for memorizing Scripture. Because of that, I'd encourage you to discuss these things. Discuss them in your growth groups. Discuss them around the dinner table this afternoon. It's highly likely that your brothers and sisters here have additional tips that I've not yet discovered that you could use for memorizing more of God's Word. Well, having said that, let me now share with you 12 recommendations for memorizing Scripture. All right, I don't think I've ever had a sermon with this many points but I'm going to go through these quickly. Twelve recommendations for memorizing Scripture, and I hope they'll motivate you to work hard on hiding God's Word in your heart. Suggestion number one, select your Bible translation carefully. Select your Bible translation carefully. 
Now, we are blessed to have something like 120 different English Bible translations. Realize that is completely unique, both in the history of the world and worldwide today. Most languages, if they have the Bible translated into their language at all, have simply one translation. You know, there's the Mandarin translation of the Bible, or the Bengali translation of the Bible, or the Swahili translation of the Bible. To have 120 different English translations, it's almost incomprehensible. And to be totally honest, it's probably not entirely necessary. Because of that, you do need to use some discernment as to which translation you're going to memorize. Obviously, not all English translations are created equal. Some are much better than others, more trustworthy than others. And additionally, you want to memorize in a translation that's going to be around for a while. You don't want to memorize something that's going to like, disappear next year. I actually did that. Back in college, I memorized hundreds of verses in a translation that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, you can't even buy it unless you go to like a used bookstore or something like that. It's not available on, online. It just doesn't exist anymore. You don't want that experience. You want to memorize in a translation that you'll hopefully have uh, freely and widely available for many years to come. Additionally, and I hesitate to say this because I know that some of you aren't going to like it, but I feel compelled to say it anyway, I really do think it's time to give the King James Version a respectful retirement. That's just my opinion. Now, of course, God has used the King James Version in remarkable ways, phenomenal ways, dramatically more than any other English translation and probably any other English translation yet to come. The last I checked, uh, none of us, with the possible exception of Stu, were born in the 1600s. And words simply don't mean today what they meant 400 years ago. And, you know, you could kind of think about it this way. If you find it difficult to understand Shakespeare, uh, realize the average person in the street is going to have that same attitude toward the King James Bible. It's just not going to make any sense to them. And additionally, realize, or maybe remind yourself of this, we're memorizing Scripture not to impress others, uh, not to look smart, not to display our eloquent vocabulary, but to freely use in evangelistic conversations and when giving counsel. So you want to be able to quote verses, you know, when they're relevant to your kids, your children, especially your children. Why memorize the Bible in a version that nobody we're talking to today is going to easily understand? Well, having said that, what specific translations do I recommend? Well, I personally use the ESV, the English Standard Version, and I think it's generally excellent. But do be aware of this. There are actually three editions of the ESV in circulation. Uh, they update it every few years, um, which, which obviously they're free to do, but I didn't know that at the beginning. And even in this room, all three of those different editions exist, and with coming years, there are probably going to be more floating around. Another good option would be to use the Christian Standard Version. Christian Standard Version. This was produced by the Southern Baptist Convention, and I know some of the guys on the translation committee, they're good, trustworthy scholars. Another one you might check out is called the Legacy Standard Version. The Legacy Standard Version, what this is, it's the old New American Standard Version updated. Any of those would be outstanding translations to use for memorizing God's Word. Now, having said that, there is a caution I'd recommend. I'd actually discourage attempts to re-memorize verses you've already memorized in one translation into another translation. Uh, I've done this, and believe it or not, it takes about three times as much work to rememorize a verse from one translation into another. I mean, your brain just keeps defaulting back to what you memorized earlier in life. Additionally, and this has also been my experience, what will probably happen is that you'll wind up with this kind of weird half-breed mutant translation that's like half NIV and half King James. You know what I'm saying? I got a bunch of verses in my brain like that. 
So if you've already memorized verses in one translation, I'd encourage you to stick with that, polish them up, but moving forward, select your translation carefully and maybe use something like the ESV, Christian Standard Version, or Legacy Standard Version. Quickly, a second suggestion. And this one applies not only to memorizing Scripture, but anytime you're engaging with God's Word. But understand the verse in context. Understand the verse in context. Now here's something interesting I want you to think about. God's Word twisted is not God's Word. You know what I mean by that? God's word twisted is not God's word. If you pluck verses out of context to make them say what you want them to say, and God never actually said this in the first place, God's not speaking through that. And I don't think we have reason to believe that the power of God is going to work through that. To give you an illustration of this sort of thing, and this is why I had Bennett read this section earlier in the service, I have heard 1 Corinthians 2.9 quoted at countless funerals. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says that's what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. At so many funerals, I've heard that verse quoted and applied to the glories of heaven. Uh, our brother here, Larry, yes, he is dead, but now he is seeing things, enjoying things in heaven uh, that we can't even imagine. Now, it's totally true that if Brother Larry knew the Lord, he is in heaven, and that is a glorious experience. But if you look at 1 Corinthians 2.9, it has absolutely nothing to do with heaven. If you read the verse in context, it's talking about the way in which truth that humans could never learn through, say, scientific discovery, through deduction, that truth has been revealed to us in the scriptures. And if you just read the verse for, you know, if you took 30 seconds to check the context, you'd know that that's what it's talking about. So before you start memorizing verses of the, verses of the Bible, read them in context. Maybe read a couple of verses beforehand, a couple of verses afterwards. Uh, maybe check a good study Bible, read a good commentary. Because, again, we, we want to understand these verses properly because I don't think God is speaking as his word is twisted. Third, I encourage you to create your own scripture memory cards. Create your own scripture memory cards. Now, what is this talking about? You can go online and buy scripture memory cards if you want. You know, go on Amazon, they're already printed out, you know, nice readable font and everything. You can pay, you know, $19.99. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And again, you're totally free in Christ to do that if you want. But I have found benefit in actually handwriting out my verses. I use old-fashioned 3 by 5 cards. So just go to Staples or somewhere like that, get yourself 3 by 5 cards. I put the Reference on one side, I write out the verse on the other side, and actually the process of writing out will sort of jumpstart the, the process of memorizing it. You, you'll actually start memorizing it as you're writing it out. Um, and I got a whole stack at home. And, and the nice thing is if I lose them, I can easily make a new one. You know, as long as you got a pen and a 3 by 5 card, you can make a new card. Uh, but that's, again, my suggestion, not only uh, because, you know, you don't have to go searching around online to find the right ones that you want, uh, but also you can, you know, learn in the process of writing uh, that's, that was a tip I learned just through studying stuff. The process, you know, I'd, I'd make three by five cards for, uh, you know, studying for tests and whatnot. I discovered that I learned about 40% of the information just by creating the cards. Uh, you know, that, that was a helpful process as opposed to buying it myself. But anyway, create your own scripture memory cards, or at least that's what I do. Four, turn off distractions. Turn off distractions. Now, this one should be fairly self-explanatory and obvious. But our world is filled with distractions. So if you really want to be serious about memorizing Scripture, don't do it when the TV's on in front of you. Additionally, I'd encourage you to maybe get your phone out of the room. Or for me, I turn the notifications off. Um, that's why if any of you ever text me, I sometimes don't text back for like, you know, maybe a half an hour or something like that. I've turned off the notifications all the time because I've discovered that if, you, if you're 
sort of subtly anticipating a chirp at any minute, your entire ability to comprehend, concentrate and pay attention is diminished. Uh, so limit your distractions as much as possible. Uh, maybe get in a quiet room. Maybe, you know, some of you I know have a prayer closet. But get somewhere where you can focus in on what you're doing and not be distracted all the time. Fifth, set a timer for a brief period of time. Set a timer for a brief period of time. Now, I will confess that there are activities that are more enjoyable than Scripture memory. Okay, it, it is work. It's a little bit like if you memorized your times tables back in high school. You know, it, it takes some work. Therefore, I'd encourage you to set yourself a timer and don't make it unduly long. You know, I, I'm thinking like five minutes, ten minutes. I, I do ten minutes myself personally, and I literally set a timer. Now, you might think, 10 minutes? Well, it adds up. It compounds over time. If you do five minutes a day, you know, over a couple of months, that's, that's a lot of verses memorized. And also, much better to memorize, you know, five minutes a day, let's say five days a week, than to do it 20 minutes now and to be so sick of it that you never do it again. You see what I'm saying? So set a timer for a brief period of time and be careful of being overly audacious, I guess is the word that I'm thinking of. Don't aspire for more than you need to. Number six. Read the verse aloud repeatedly. Read the verse aloud repeatedly. And again, this is simply what I do. But when I've got my verse all written out, I read it out loud. And then I read it out loud again. And then I read it out loud again. And it might take me 100 times before I've got it in my brain. And I really believe the out loud part is important. I've tried to memorize scripture silently, and it just... For me, it doesn't work. Uh, but when you're saying it out loud, multiple senses are engaged. You're looking at it, you're hearing it, your, your mouth is shaping the words. And for me, that's far more effective than just trying to do it silently in my head. Um, and again, discuss this together in your growth groups. I mean, maybe you've got tips and tricks that I don't know about, but I don't know of a way to really memorize scripture other than just reading it out loud over and over and over and over and over and over again. And what I've discovered is that it just sort of, I sort of know when I've got it. I don't have to look at my card anymore. You know, I just, I, it just comes flowing right out of me. That's at least the way that I do it. Seven. Say the reference, the verse, and the reference again. The reference, the verse, the reference again. What I'm suggesting is that you sort of keep the references like bookends on your verse. So, for example, let's say we're doing John 3.16. I'd say, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16. So I say the reference both at the beginning and at the end. Again, you're free in Christ to totally ignore this if you want to, but for me, and for I know that many others, it sort of locks the verse together. It's like a coherent whole. And if somebody asks you, quote John 3.16, it comes quicker to your mind than if you just said the reference once at the beginning. I don't know really why it does this. Maybe some of you all do, but it is a sort of a tip that's worked for me. Number eight, memorize not only the words, but the cadence. Memorize not only the words, but the cadence. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, we typically recite things in sort of a consistent way following a cadence. You know, for example, like again, let's use John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You could vary that if you want. You could say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Obviously, I'm being a little bit overdramatic there, uh, but the point is that your brain will memorize not only the words, but even the cadence. This is actually how we pick up songs so easily. The, the repeated cadence kind of sticks with us. So also, as you're memorizing verses, 
Keep the same sort of like da-da-da-da-da-da uh, over and over and over again. And you figure out what works for you, but your brain will again pick that up quicker than if you changed it on a regular basis. That making sense? Number nine, don't move on too soon. Don't move on too soon. What I mean by this is that early on, I'd move on to the next verse as soon as I could say the verse I was memorizing through once perfectly. I've discovered that that's not enough. You know, sometimes you're like lucky. I know that, you know, in the sovereignty of God, there is no such thing as luck. But, you know, you just got it once. You don't really have it down, but you're like, all right, time to move on. Not a good idea. I'd encourage you to, until you can say it like a dozen times in a row perfectly, don't move on until you can do that. You see what I'm saying? Because what will happen is if it's kind of vague and fuzzy, it'll be even more vague and fuzzy tomorrow, and it'll be even more vague and fuzzy the next day, and before long it'll just kind of like disappear into thin air. So make sure you've got it down really, really good before you move on to the next verse. Number 10, review regularly. Review regularly. Now, now let me tell you what I do. I have a new verse that I'm working on memorizing. Then I've got a category of verses that I review about every other day. And then I've got a category of verses that I review about once a month. And you can kind of figure out which goes in which category. The verses that I've you know, memorized for a long, long time, they're in the once a month category. The newer ones are in the every other day category. And obviously, I got my new verse. Now, why is reviewing regularly important? Well, obviously, our brains are not like computer hard drives. You know, if you're not reviewing, especially as you get older, we're going to talk more about this in a minute. But as you get older, your memory does not have same, uh, you know, like etched in stone quality it did when you were like eight years old. Additionally, and what I've discovered is that sometimes the reviewing process helps you memorize it. You, you know, you thought you had it down, but you discover you actually didn't have it down as well as you did, but by reviewing it over and over, you, then you finally get it. Uh, so figure out some approach that works for you to review regularly. Just a couple more. Number 11, discover and take advantage of that best time of the day when your memory is sharpest. Discover and take advantage of that best time of the day when your memory is sharpest. Now, I know that we're all different here. For me, it just so happens that the like, first thing I wake up is when my mind is the sharpest. Um, and you can ask my family about this. I get up in kind of a ridiculously early hour. But that's the time. If I really want to get serious, like, thought work done, i got to get it done early in the morning. And I include scripture memory in that. Uh, so if you were to, like, knock on my door at, like, 5.30 in the morning, which I definitely encourage you not to do because everybody else is sleeping, uh, you might interrupt me doing my scripture memory. That's because my mind is sharp. Now, I've tried doing it at other times of the day. I've tried doing it, like, right before I go to bed. That's, that's not, not a good idea. Um, you know, because even if I get through it, I'm, my, my, everything's all fuzzy and I got a billion things floating around in my mind and I can't really ponder what I'm doing. Uh, additionally, uh, I think it was last Thursday, for one reason or another, I couldn't do it first thing in the morning and I tried to do it at 10.30 in the morning. I was falling asleep when I was trying to memorize the verse and I mean, it was almost funny because I'd be like, so, remember that back in college or high school when you're trying to say stuff, but you're like, body is shutting down? Not an ideal time to work on memorizing scripture, and I don't expect to get uh, much out of days like that. So you figure out when your mind is the sharpest, and then take advantage of that for memorizing scripture. And again, this will be different for other, you know, various people. Don't judge other, you know, if you do it first thing in the morning, don't judge your brother if they do it four in the afternoon. And if you do it four in the afternoon, don't judge your brother if they do it at, you know, four in the morning. Anyway, almost done. Number 12. Realize your memory is like a muscle that can be strengthened. Realize your memory is like a muscle that can be strengthened. Now, like most things, your memory is something that you can improve over time. It's sort of like exercise. 
If you've never exercised before, the first several times are going to feel awful. I hate to break it to you, but that's just the way life works. You might feel like you're going to throw up. Uh, you'll feel sore afterwards. Uh, at first, you're going to think, what in the world did I get myself into? But if you persevere with exercise, eventually it'll get easier, you'll get healthier, and you'll start seeing the good results, and you'll be glad you did it. Similarly, your memory works in a very similar manner. At first, you'll be like, I can't memorize anything. I'm not remembering any of this. And it'll probably feel that way for the first several days if you haven't been doing scripture memory. It might take you several weeks to memorize your first verse, but keep at it, don't give up, and before long, I, I imagine you'll start seeing improvements. You'll start memorizing verses faster, you'll retain them longer, and the Lord only knows how much you can strengthen and improve your memory. To illustrate how much the human mind is capable of memorizing, I want to share with you a couple of quotes I came across. These are both phenomenal illustrations of the ability humans have to memorize. But first, Gordon Wenham writes this. Buddhist monasteries in India during the 1st to 8th centuries AD required monks to memorize in their entirety extended excerpts from their sacred texts that would take about 11 hours to recite. I was trying to think about it. I think if I took all the verses I've ever learned in my entire life, they might occupy an hour. So 11 hours is a lot of, a lot of memorizing. Here's another one coming from modern day. David Larson writes this. Some measure of the intense dedication of Muslims and the propagation of their faith is to be seen in the requirement that applicants for admission to Al-Azhar University in Cairo, the center of world Islamic culture and the home, in, home to in excess of 30,000 students at last report, he was writing this in 1995, must know the Quran by heart. And again, that's not, if, if you are familiar with Islam, that's not really all that unheard of. Now, when I read those quotes, I had two reactions. First, I could anticipate somebody thinking, memorizing that much material would take an enormous amount of time. Who's got time for that? Well, evidently some Buddhists and Muslims do. Why not we believers on the Lord Jesus who have the true word of God and are rightly reconciled to God? But what's more, in response to those quotes, I thought, you know, if unbelievers can memorize such massive portions of their sacred texts, which obviously, in you know, God's sight, they're not actually sacred, how much could we memorize with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit? I really believe that most of us can memorize dramatically more than we think. It'll just take some work. But hopefully this series has convinced you that that work is worth it. It's more than worth it. Now I want to quickly address a particular objection here. It's the objection that I'm too old to memorize anything. I've heard this a lot. Uh, you know, maybe you're 60, 70, 80, and you're thinking, you know, my memory is not just what it used to be, and I can't memorize anything. Well, I'll be quick to acknowledge that as we age, our memory is not what it used to be. Again, like I mentioned, the, the verses I memorized when I was like 8, 10 years old are just there. Like, I don't know if I could forget them if I wanted to. While the stuff I memorized like two weeks ago, I've got to review over and over and over again lest it disappear, uh, which incidentally is why it's so important to have kids memorizing Scripture. But that being said, so long as you don't have some sort of cognitive degenerative disease, you still have a memory. And you can still use that memory to memorize stuff. And I think that you can still strengthen that memory. It just might take some work. So maybe a 25-year-old, they could memorize a certain verse saying it 100 times. You might need to say it 200 times, but you can still memorize it. 
Realize your memory is like a muscle that can be strengthened. So let's collectively use our memory for the glory of God and fill it up with Scripture. Now, all of this begs the question, which verses should I memorize? You know, the Bible's a big book, thousands of verses. Where should I begin? Well, let me give you two options here. First, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it is wise to memorize those verses that correspond to your particular temptations. It's wise to memorize those verses which correspond to your particular temptations. So just ask yourself, what sins do I struggle with? Is it anxiety, lust, forgiveness, laziness, bitterness, jealousy, whatever? Then get yourself a concordance or a topical Bible or do some searching around on BibleGateway.com and find the most relevant verses in God's Word that correspond to your temptations. Now along this line, let me say a quick word about what kind of verses that you should memorize. We've talked before about the way in which the entire Bible is made up of law and gospel, promises and commands, the great works of God, and then our response. Remember talking about this? What is it that fuels our obedience but faith in God's promises, faith in God's works? Those are sort of like the wind in the sail to push us along to do what we need to do. You see what I'm saying? What that means is what you probably need are not more commands not to do this or that. You know, let's say, just for instance, you struggle with bitterness. You already know you shouldn't be bitter, so you probably don't need more commands. Don't be bitter, don't be bitter, don't be bitter. What you need is promises of God that he's going to help you fight this sin. He's going to enable you to obey. He's going to give you the grace that you need to not be bitter. You see what I'm saying? So try to identify specifically promises that correspond to your temptations, because again, that's where you're going to get the fuel you need to obey in these different areas. That's the first option. Let me give you a second option. If you look up here on the wall... I figured out how to create a QR code. If you click on this code, and feel free to use your phone to do this right now if you want to, it will enable you to download a free booklet produced by the Navigators entitled How to Memorize Scripture. Um, now, this booklet, it's only like six pages long, and to be totally honest, it's not all that substantial. Uh, I've given you about five times more information in these sermons than you'll get from this little booklet. However, page four has a great list of 70 recommended Bible memory verses on a wide variety of topics. Um, these are actually the verses that I've been memorizing in my devotions. Um, and, you know, if you're doing five, ten minutes a day, those 70 will occupy you for a long time. Uh, so either of those options or even a combination of both of those options would be a great place to start in finding good verses to memorize. Now, to conclude our entire little mini-series here, I want to bring you back to the story that I told at the beginning of our series, in the first sermon. You might remember how I told you a story about a young missionary girl named Darlene Diebler. Goes to Papua New Guinea, brand new married woman. Uh, she's on the field for 18 months when World War II strikes the island. The Japanese imprison everybody. They put Darlene, her husband, in separate camps, husband sadly dies a couple of years later, never to see her uh, wife again. Uh, Darlene embraces the role of a missionary in this camp. Uh, she thought she was going to be a missionary to the primitive natives of Papua New Guinea. Instead, she becomes a missionary to all sorts of British and American women confined to this slave camp. At one particular time, she's thrown into solitary confinement. And for over 30 days, she's in this five-by-five five concrete cell, no human interaction, food slid to her under a slot in the door, using a bucket for her toilet needs. Remember this story? And you'll remember, if you were with us on the first Sunday, what enabled her to preserve her sanity and also to preserve her faith was scripture memory. 
She had memorized Bible verses her entire life long, and meditating on these, even though she had no access to a printed Bible, enabled her to maintain her faith. Now, in conclusion, what I want to think about is this. You know, hopefully something like this never, ever happens to any of us. But if you found yourself in a situation like that, with no access to a printed Bible, no access to the Bible on your phone, and for an extended period of time, would you have enough Bible stored up on the hard drive of your mind to sustain your faith? Would you have enough Bible stored up in your memory to enable you to evangelize others, disciple others? Would you have enough Bible stored up in your memory to help other people solve their problems biblically? if you had zero access to a printed or electronic copy of the Bible. Now you might think, oh, that'll never happen here. We're safe, we're secure, we're comfortable here in the United States. We'll always have access to printed copies of the Bible, electronic copies of the Bible. Well, hopefully so, but you never know. And I mean, given the current state of the world, given the current trajectory of our nation, it wouldn't surprise me at all if some of us find ourselves in a situation where you have zero access to a printed or electronic copy of the Bible. I mean, you can think about it this way. There are still right now over 100 Israeli and American hostages in Gaza, and six months ago they never saw this coming. Why couldn't that happen here? So again, do you have enough of God's Word stored up in your memory to sustain your faith? Enough of God's Word stored up to share the gospel, to disciple others, to help people solve their problems biblically? And if you don't, what should you start doing today? Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, thank you so much for your precious word. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. It's by your word that we're made wise unto salvation. Lord, it's through your word that we can fight sin and keep our ways pure. Please make us people that treasure your word and treasure it not just in profession, not in what we say about it, but actively storing it up, hiding it in our hearts, viewing it as more precious than silver, more precious than gold. And we do pray that you would use your powerful word to help us to fight against Satan and his temptations. Lord, we thank you for the word incarnate Jesus, our Lord, for the way that he perfectly obeyed in every way whereby we fall short. And we thank you for the way that he gives us his righteousness by faith so that we are treated as saints, as sons and daughters of God, even though we are still sinners. It's in his name we pray. Amen.